All right, let's turn to 1 John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, there's some underneath some of the chairs if you don't. And of course, we will have the scriptures up on the screen as well. Last week, we talked about the witness of men. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three that bear witness on the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. We left off in verse 9 where John says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. And so we're going to pick up in the second half of that verse, moving on through verse 12. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Father God, we pray as we explore this passage together that you would open up our hearts and minds, give us insight and understanding to what John is telling us here, Lord, that we might take these things to heart and apply them in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we receive the witness of men, we talked about this last week, the witness of the apostles. John begins this first epistle by recounting his eyewitness experience with Jesus. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him, remember? Do you receive that witness? The witness of godly men like Peter, James, and John and all the other apostles? They have given us a powerful witness and testimony. In fact, one translation does say testimony instead of witness here. We have received the witness of men, have we not? But the witness or testimony of God is greater. So we can say this, if man's testimony is trustworthy and reliable, which in this case it is, how much more, think about this, the witness and the testimony of the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of all things. You think you can take God's word for it? Absolutely. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Do men lie? Yeah. God does not lie, nor a son of man, that he should repent. God doesn't need to repent. He's already going the right way. He, he is the way. Has he said and will he not do? Does God always keep his word? Absolutely. Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Well, that's something we need to remind ourselves of every day, isn't it? It's crazy how the, these thoughts can creep into our hearts and minds that somehow God doesn't keep his word. God doesn't keep his promises. That's a lie from the pit of hell. He absolutely does. The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. How has God done this? How has God testified of his Son? First of all, by and through the Holy Scriptures, the Word. And by the way, as my good friend Dr. Brian Davis likes to say, Jesus is the Word. He is. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. But we also have the Word imparted to us 
by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament writers, the New Testament writers. 2 Timothy 3.16. This is important because there are many people today that apparently don't buy into this. Listen to this. All Scripture, not some, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or God-breathed, as one translation says. All Scripture is God-breathed. And this will even be of greater significance in a few moments. Think about this. God-breathed. And is profitable or beneficial for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, the testimony of God, the witness of God, is given to us in the Holy Scriptures. So I would say that being a student of God's Word is important, wouldn't you? And yet, sadly, many people base their entire Christian life and experience upon that. Experience, feelings, emotions. Right? Kind of like people do with their marriages. If you're feeling good about God that day, well, things are great. If you're not feeling so good, maybe you don't go to church. Maybe you don't go to Bible study. Maybe you don't pray. Maybe you don't read the Bible because you're living your Christian life out based upon feelings and not fact. What we're talking about here today is fact. This is the witness or testimony of God. Hebrews 4.12, another verse that's so vitally important. The Word of God, here it's a small w. When it's talking about Jesus, it's a big w. So we have the big W, Jesus, the Logos. We have the little w when it's referring to the Scriptures. The Word of God is living and powerful. How is that possible? And sharper than any two-edged sword. Wow. Apparently, the writer of Hebrews, who is speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seems to think the Bible is a very powerful and dynamic book. Do you agree? Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. So it goes beneath the surface. So many people, again, base their Christian life, their walk, their experience on outward appearances. Therefore, the band, as they shared with us, many times aren't given a very warm reception because people might not like the way they look. That's a very surface and shallow evaluation, is it not? My wife reminded me, she was telling the group about this. I'd forgotten all about it. But when I was probably even younger than these guys, I was about 19 or 20 when my group uh, Phoenix Sunshine was traveling around singing and we were going to a church in Newport Beach. Before I went to Calvary Chapel, our manager, producer guy, uh, had been going there, so he encouraged us to attend there. And once in a while they would ask us to get up and lead worship. Their worship was, not, was pretty much non-existent. The teaching was good. There wasn't much in the way of worship. So it was a breath of fresh air for the congregation whenever we, we were a trio, three of us, two guitars, three-part harmony. And we'd get up and lead worship, and the people really loved it. They were blessed by it. So they said, we, we might want to hire you guys to be our worship team, which that was the early, early days of contemporary praise and worship. And uh, worship team wasn't even... A term back then, I don't think. But anyway, so they have a board meeting. We had long hair. Some things never change. <laughs> and beards. Some things never change. And they had this board meeting, and a number of the board members said, no, 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 we can't put those guys up there. They, uh, they're a bad example for our youth. So they voted us down. And so right after that, I went to Calvary Chapel. 
because there are a lot of people with long hair there. But just that example, the Word of God pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. Sometimes, sadly, let's be honest, as believers, we can be kind of shallow. But the Word digs deep. And it's a surgical instrument that God uses to remove those things from our lives that He doesn't want to be there. God's testimony, His witness, comes to us through His Word. Piercing even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner, listen to this, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that is really the heart of the matter, is it not? Do you know of any other book that is literally alive? No, but the Word of God is. It's living and powerful. And yet, sadly, so many people ignore it, neglect it, even believers sometimes. The Word is alive. And we're going to be talking about life towards the end of the message. And if, if we're going to experience real life, true life in Christ, that has to involve and include His Word because His Word is alive and it imparts life to us. John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, I quoted this a moment ago, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. So you have the oral testimony, the visual testimony. We've looked upon our hands, have handled concerning the big W, word of life, Jesus, the testimony of men. John 1.14, the word, big W, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only this is First John, not Gospel John, right? Anyway, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The first one was First John, the second one is Gospel of John. So first of all, we have the witness and the testimony in the little w, the Word of God, the Scriptures, secondarily through Jesus Himself. And then here also, the Holy Spirit. The inner witness. I've talked about this recently with John Wesley, how John Wesley testified after preaching for 20 years, he realized he wasn't really saved. And then he got saved. And he said, I received that inner witness, the Holy Spirit inside of me, confirming to me that I was indeed a child of God. The Holy Spirit is another aspect of that testimony or that witness of God. John 16, 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come... And Jesus is saying, I've got to go away. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper, the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. You know, there are those out there today that say, well, yeah, the, the Bible is truth, but not all t truth is contained in the Bible. I reject that idea. I believe all truth is in the Bible. God is truth. And if you don't think so, maybe you just haven't dug deeply enough. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, the Holy Spirit, but whatever he hears from the Father and the Son, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Let's move on to verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself, or the testimony in himself, or in his heart. It can also be translated that way. He who believes in the Son of God has the testimony or the witness in his heart. 
And that reminds us, folks, it's not head knowledge that saves a person, but heart knowledge. And we used to talk about that when we were out evangelizing like these guys. You know, we have to transfer that information from the head to the heart. There are a lot of people who know the Bible very well, but they don't know God. They view it. In fact, they used to teach classes uh, in some of the colleges called uh, the Bible as literature. I don't think they even do that anymore. The Bible as literature. And it's a great literary work because God wrote it. Is there a better writer than God? But the information has to be transferred from your head to your heart. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness or the testimony in his heart. So here's how it works. And we've talked about this recently, how the Holy Spirit's job is to speak the truth to you, to every human being, about who God is, who Jesus is, that he's the Savior of the world. So the Holy Spirit comes to you, and he speaks the truth to you concerning Jesus Christ. Not out loud, normally, but in your heart, in your mind, he speaks to you. He tells you he's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who died on the cross to save you from your sins, and he rose from the dead. So then... You receive his testimony, the witness of the Holy Spirit, as the truth, and you receive and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, thirdly, at that point, he comes to live inside of you and take up residence in your heart. And because it's one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even though in a physical sense, a technical sense, God is in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit lives in us because they're all one. God is living inside of us. Jesus is living inside of us. And we identify, of course, most closely with Jesus because he came to earth as a man. And the reason he did that is because mankind was having a hard time relating to this infinite God out there that had never been seen. And so God appeared in human form. And so, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But Jesus, the, the human physical manifestation of God who died on the cross for our sins, we identify very closely with him, do we not? The Bible said he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he sinned not. He's our mentor. He's our role model. And according to him, we're his friends. There can be no greater designation. Abraham was called the friend of God. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends. I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time even wrapping my brain around the idea that God calls me his friend. It's pretty amazing. We do that song, I am a friend of God. Now, again, John is known as the apostle of love, but he certainly doesn't pull any punches. He said, he who does not believe God, and we've been talking about this, how if you reject the wooing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaking the truth to you, then you're basically calling God a liar, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. We just read in Numbers, God is not a man that he should lie. So if someone is accusing God of being a liar, God's not the problem, is he? He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. So even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable for us to, 
to say this. John's the one who said it. Anyone and everyone who rejects the testimony of the Holy Spirit in so doing, although they're not accurate, they make God out to be a liar. Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say to you, this is Jesus talking, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. That's good news. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Now how is that possible? On the one hand, every sin can be forgiven, and yet there is a sin that can't be forgiven. Let's read the rest. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. So, I mean, we know how Jesus is humble. He has a heart of a servant. He washed the disciples' feet. He died on the cross, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> but Jesus said it's actually okay to slam him. He'll forgive that. It's a good thing because there's a lot of people who now know him who once slammed him, right? Mocked him, cursed him. And when they did that to him when he was on the cross, he said, Father, torch them. No, he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? So he says, you can slam me, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. The only sin, this is really important to make note of, that cannot and will not be forgiven is the sin of rejecting God's testimony concerning His Son Jesus calling the Holy Spirit a liar. Now, as I've told you before, that doesn't mean just because on one occasion you said, nope, don't believe it, don't buy into it. The point is, if you make it all the way through your life, and you are continually rejecting the testimony of God, you just won't listen to the Holy Spirit, and you die in that condition, you're lost forever. That's the only way we can really make sense out of this verse, because we know that there is absolutely no sin that cannot be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is important to understand that, because I think there are some people out there, perhaps many, who are saying, well, I could be wrong, I don't think I am, but I might be wrong, and so I'm just going to have to rely upon the fact that you Christians tell me God's a good God, He's a loving God, so if I messed up, then when I get there, He's probably going to, it's going to be okay, I'll be all right. No, that's not true. You can't go through your whole life continually rejecting the testimony of God, basically calling Him a liar, and then hope for grace and mercy on the day of judgment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. doesn't matter what day it is. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. You've got mail. Anyway. <laughs> today is always the day of salvation. Because this is the only time that we can count on is right here and now, right? I mean, God forbid that any of us should go out of here and get in a car wreck or whatever and die. But... Technically, this is all we have is right now. So no matter what day it is, today is always the day of salvation. Today is always the time to receive and accept the testimony of God concerning His Son. All right, verse 11. And this is the testimony. So if you've been wondering, what is it? I've already told you it comes through the Word of God, through the person of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit also comes through the testimony of men as we started out with today. 
This is the testimony. This is the whole ball game, really. That God has given us eternal life. Contrary to what many people believe, God's message or testimony, His witness, is not one of doom, gloom, and judgment, but of eternal life. That's really sad. The enemy has been able to bamboozle a lot of people, deceive them into thinking that God's testimony is just one of meanness and vindictiveness and judgment and I, I just can't wait to torch another human being. No, no, no. That's the devil, folks. And that's how the devil works. He's the master of projection. Whatever he's doing, he tries to project it on God and God's people to deceive. In fact, the whole Masonic, Illuminati thing, all that, they actually teach, when you get to the upper levels, that Lucifer is the good guy and God is the bad guy. Did you know that? That's what they teach. That Lucifer, you know, he's the morning star and all this, you know, he's this bright and shining angelic being. And Lucifer is the one, just like in the Garden of Eden. Remember what he did? He called God a liar, remember? He told Eve, oh, you, you won't die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. God's mean and nasty and he's holding back. I'm going to give it all to you. Boy, that's the message that's going around the world all the time. Look at you. You're trying to be a good person and follow God and what did it get you? You know, you're poor, you're sick, you have a lousy job, you know, your dog bit you. You know, it's time for you to get a new God. Remember? I will be like the Most High. The devil wanted to be God. He still wants to be God. And so he masquerades, the Bible says, as an angel of light. Right? And there's a lot of people who have followed that light straight down to the pit of hell. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. God's testimony, His witness, is not one of doom, gloom, and judgment. God's not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack or slow concerning His promise, as some count slackness or slowness. God's not dragging His feet. Why hasn't He come? Where is He? Yeah, right. We've been hearing that for 2,000 years. You Christians, you don't know what you're talking about. He's not coming. Why hasn't He come yet? Because of His long-suffering, His patience, his love, because he's not willing that any human being should perish. But the thing is, he's given us a choice. He's given man a free will. We can choose him or not choose him. But he's waiting as long as humanly possible <laughs> to give as many people as possible an opportunity to know him. Just like as it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. When God looked down in Genesis chapter 6 and saw that the world was filled with nothing but evil, wickedness, you know, he justifiably could have just destroyed it right then and there and delivered Noah and his family any way that he chose to do so. But what did he do? He gave them 120 years to repent, and yet no one repented. In the days of Lot, Sodom was a very corrupt and evil place, except for Lot and his family. And they weren't perfect either, but they were saved by faith. Abraham 
God counted it to him as righteousness, his faith, and Lot also. But God finally looked down and he said, you know what? I can't, I can't hold back any longer. This wickedness and this evil has got to be judged. Abraham negotiates. Well, what if you find, you know, 50 righteous? Oh, yeah, then I'll, then I'll wait, says God. What about 40? You know, boy. <laughs> we can see where all the wheeling and dealing comes from, right? So it's 40, it's 30, it's 20, it's 10. And even for 10, God says, well, if there's 10 righteous, hey, I'll cut them some slack. There weren't even 10. Just Lot and his family. And God said, okay, it's time for the hammer to fall. You know what? We're living in those times again. So praise God for what these guys are doing because every moment counts. Time is running out. <laughs> Only God knows when that time will come when he looks down upon this world and says, you know what? I've been as patient as I can possibly be, but it's time for judgment. Of course, here we believe we're going to be watching from the balcony. The church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air prior to that final outpouring of His wrath upon the planet. But God's testimony, His witness, this is the very core, the very heart of it, that God has given us eternal life, the greatest gift you could ever receive. We were created to live forever, Adam and Eve threw that away. God created us to be a part of His forever family, to have an eternal love relationship with Him. That's His testimony. And this life, here it is, is in His Son. And this is what it's so hard to get across to people because, you know, we're all kind of rebellious creatures by nature. You know, that's why... Burger King came out with the old campaign, have it your way. You know, you try that at McDonald's, you may be waiting all day to get your burger, you know. <laughs> the Burger King, you can have it your way. Pickles, no pickles, hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, right? Special orders don't upset us. <laughs> yeah, we should have a night of singing old commercials, isn't it? Kind of fun. Wish I wasn't Oscar Mayer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this life is in his son. So people will say, that's not fair. What if I don't want to go that route? What if I don't like Jesus? What if I want to get to God some other way? Well, guess what? God gets to make the rules. He's the creator. But he didn't have to make any way, did he? No, he could have just torched us all and been done with it. There's no other way to eternal life but through Jesus. The testimony, the witness of God, He's given us eternal life in His Son. It's really not complicated. If you want to live forever, now some people say, no, my life is so horrible. If it's going to be like this forever, I don't want it. But it's not going to be. Again, we've got to go to the Word of God, the truth, and find out what does that eternal life look like. It's joy and peace and righteousness and the Holy Ghost. It's living in paradise. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in the ghetto. No? Remember that song, Elvis? In the ghetto. Today you'll be with me in paradise. 
So we need to let people know if they've got some idea. Again, the devil deceives people. He projects. And people think that hell is going to be like heaven. Oh, I'm going to party with all my friends down there, right? I don't think so. Heaven's the good place. That's where you want to go. Oh, all we're going to do is lay around all day on the clouds and play our harps. You know. No, no, there's a lot more to it than that. We know that. It's going to be amazing, incredible. Think of every incredible, fantastic, amazing, you know, fantasy film you've ever seen, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. I don't know, whatever floats your boat. You know, whatever you think is just the most amazing, incredible thing, and heaven's going to be far beyond that. Far beyond that. John, 1 John 4, 1. We studied this several weeks ago. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. I talked about the Holy Spirit in this band. And that's what really drew me to them. I love the music, but it's the spirit behind it, the Holy Spirit living in them. We have to test the spirits. There are many deceiving spirits out there, are there not? How do you wind up with people like a Michael Jackson, for example, being worshipped by people all over the world? You think that's just, uh, there's more to it than that, folks. And many others that you can think of. Test the spirits. And even in the face of overwhelming evidence of rampant pedophilia and other things, and we can think of some people in the political arena like that too. Think of whatever arena of life you want and think about famous, powerful people who have been exposed for doing horrible things and yet people still back them and support them, don't they? There's a spirit behind that. Test the spirits whether they are of God. Paul even had to rebuke the Galatians because they had fallen for another gospel. He said, who has so easily and quickly bewitched you? You think these spirits only operate outside the church? I would actually propose that that's one of their favorite places. Because the people who don't know God are already on their side. Now, of course, they want to keep them in bondage, but the devil would love to destroy the church of God. He will not succeed, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against us. That doesn't mean we don't need to be on guard, right? It was Peter who said, you know, watch out for the devil. He wanders to and fro like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Test the spirits because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Preaching many other gospels, many other belief systems. By this, John writes, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And there's more to that than just the fact that Jesus had a physical body. To confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh means that you believe He is the one and only Son of God. He is Yeshua HaMashiach, the Savior of the world. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. 
That's what it means to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Because there are people who accept the idea of, of an historical Jesus, that he was a real person, but they don't believe in him as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's what it means to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist with the big A, the one who's coming, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. That spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist has yet to come. I believe he's coming soon to a planet near you. But the spirit's been around for a long time because that spirit emanates from Satan himself. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So there it is. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. And again, only by the Spirit of God can we make that true confession and profession of faith. So as I tell you time and time again, pray for those that you're concerned about. The Bible says no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. Pray that God's Holy Spirit will draw them to Himself. That's how we got there, right? When you look back, the fact that you know God, that you're saved, that you're born, it's a miracle. How does that happen? Because you look around you and there's people everywhere that don't know Him and from the natural perspective, from all outward indications, they probably never will. But we have to look beyond that. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. But only by the work of the Spirit of God. First John 5.12, our last verse today. This is the verse that when I was out doing what these guys are doing, evangelizing through music, that we used quite often. And it just boils it all down to the very basic essentials. He who has the Son, big S, Son of God, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, I'm here, right? I'm walking, talking, eating, breathing. But wait a minute. John says if you don't have the Son... You don't have life. Now what does it mean, first of all, to have Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. What does it mean to have Him? I think we find it in John 1.12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. So first of all, John says, you need to receive Him. Welcome Him into your life as the one and only Son of God who gave his life for the sins of all mankind. Revelation 3.20, we know this one, right? Jesus says to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. I said earlier, he won't force his way into your life. He gives you a choice. The first step to having Jesus is to receive him, to open the door, and he promises if we do, he will come in. And to dine means to have fellowship, to have intimacy. That was one of the most intimate acts that you could commit in Bible days would be to have a meal with someone. Generally, people didn't eat with somebody they didn't like. 
And that's still true today for the most part, I guess. You don't call up your worst enemy and say, hey, let's do lunch. And they'll go, well, I'll buy. Okay. <laughs> that could make a difference. Okay, so receive him. Then John says you've got to believe in his name. We already talked about that. Yeshua. God is our salvation. That's what his name means. That's what the name Jesus, which is the English transliteration of the Greek word, which is transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua. God is our salvation. The Bible also tells us that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in human form. Matthew 1.21. She, Mary, will bring forth a son, big S. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the name. God is our salvation. Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. He's quoting here from Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. That's something new and different. One-time event in human history. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You have to receive him, welcome him, open the door, believe in his name, everything that his name represents. That's how we come to a place where we can say we have Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So what does that mean then? If we're already here breathing, walking, talking, eating, sleeping, we have a biological function. And we do have, there's a spiritual element to who we are. We're created in the image of God. That's the part that goes on and on, either to eternal paradise or to the other place. But in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Yes, we were created, not evolved. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I would propose to you that the life that John is talking about here, that we have in the Son and we don't have without the Son, that life begins when God breathes into you. He breathes into you His Holy Spirit. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when we're born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That which is born of the water is of the water. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit's like the wind. It blows where it will. You can't see it, but it's there. And when you say yes to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, man. Did you know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world? He died on the cross for your sins. And you go, wow, that's amazing. Hey, Jesus, come on in. The Holy Spirit breathes into you, and you have new life in Christ. And you're no longer just a biological entity. You are now a born-again, eternal child of God. In Matthew 25, 46, Jesus tells the uh, story about those who would help the least of these, my brethren, and those who wouldn't. And we believe that that has to do with how uh, people treat the Jews during the tribulation. 
But the point is that the indicator that you're a true follower of Christ is that you treat others the same way you would treat Jesus. If, you do, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. The parable of the sheep and the goats. And then it says, these will go away into everlasting punishment. The goats on his left, the sheep on his right, but the righteous into eternal life. The true life that God speaks of is everlasting. He speaks of everlasting punishment or everlasting life. Both are conscious states of existence. I don't know if people understand this. Did you know that all people will be resurrected? Some unto eternal judgment, some unto eternal life. So those who are thinking, well, if I'm wrong, at least I'll have some peace when I die. Uh-uh. We are eternal beings created in the image of God and we will either spend eternity with Him or without Him. With Him, without Him. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's one or the other. That's what people don't like. We human beings, we don't like black and white. We don't like cut and dried. We don't like yes and no. We'd rather hear maybe. I hope so. Must be another way. Surely there must be another way. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. But again, the, you know we have the folks that the glass is half full or the glass is half empty? Well, actually, in Jesus, it's completely full. In fact, David said what? My cup runneth over. So rather than complaining about, well, I wish there was another way. I don't like this way. Thank God for this way. One way, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, we all know it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, this is the testimony of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together this morning, for the fantastic worship from our good friends all above me. God, we pray for your ongoing blessings on them as they continue to use their musical talents and abilities, their gifts, to serve you, to glorify you, and to draw as many as possible into your eternal kingdom. We ask you to provide for their every need. We pray for health and strength and traveling mercies. Lord, we pray for Britt, especially, who's had some struggles with various health issues. God, we ask you to pour out your healing power upon her. Touch her, Lord. Heal her. Strengthen her as she has given her all to follow you and to serve you. And the rest of the band as well. Father, as we take time now to hear them one more time and then prepare for a time of prayer ministry, Lord, just keep us all focused on you and we pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill this place like the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. In Jesus' name, amen.